Howdy, y'all, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Grind. I'm your host, John Spencer, so grab a mug of your favorite brew and get ready to brew your brain as we give a rundown on today's dates and some interesting historical facts, and to sharpen your wit as I toss out some random musing and facts just to get your brain gears turning, and hopefully a time to enrich your faith as we talk about our walk with Jesus. This week, once again, co-hosting with me on the brew and sharpen parts of the Daily Grind, my sister, Carla Cocker. Hello, Daily Grind. So happy to be here. Got a cup of coffee and let's go. Let's get this show on the road. And now it's that time on the Daily Grind to brew your brain. It is Wednesday, September 20th. The first Cannes Film Festival was held. Okay. It had originally been scheduled seven years earlier, but was delayed due to World War II. Oh, the World War delay. Yes. Oh. And on this date in 1973, singer Jim Croce, other people died when their light aircraft crashed. Oh, I loved this music so much. If Oh, me too. If you're a singer, never get in a live aircraft. (laughs) Yes. There are many other ways to travel. (laughs) Yes. Don't. Just stay away from those. In 1973, on this date, the Battle of the Sexes occurred. Oh. 30,000 people gathered in the Houston Astrodome and watched Billie Jean King win three sets against Bobby Riggs. I didn't realize it was in Houston, but we just watched the U.S. Open and there was lots of Billie Jean King in 50 years and all that. So, yep, 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 yep. Nationwide, 90 million Mm -hmm. households watched. (laughs) And there were other people that watched worldwide. Now, here's the thing. Hal Shaw told ESPN that Riggs a tennis icon, Billie Jean King defeated him in that showdown on the Astrodome in Houston. She and she accepted the trophy, held it aloft <laughs> after beating him in a winner-takes-all match. Go. There you go. And on this date in 1977, Fonzie jumped the shark on Happy Days. <laughs> Fonzie. <laughs> Arthur Fonzarelli. Oh, my goodness. And, and now we all use jumping the shark <laughs> as a... <laughs> That has gone too long. <laughs> Jump the shark. Oh. And September 20th is Pepperoni Pizza Day. Oh, delicious. It's Rum Punch Day. Oh, yum. Okay. And it's String Cheese Day. Okay. Man, I love some string mm-hmm. cheese. And now it's that time on the Daily Grind to sharpen your wit. CAPTCHA, that little thing that shows up when you try to log into websites. Yes. It stands for... Completely automated public. It's so annoying. <gasps> oh. I know, but it's it's trying to make sure you're not a Russian bot. I know. In all honesty, I, I will come clean. I wash my hands in public bathrooms more than I do at home. Yes. And I think it's because I don't want people to judge me. So. <laughs> That's reasonable. People, unless you write a book about it, and then they'll pay you to tell right, them. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. All of art is just humans trying to show everyone else what they see in their head. 
I guess so. Carla, do you know that there are 500 million credit cards out there in the world? I did not know. That is a lot. That's a lot. But when you think about it, a four-digit combination, there's only (laughs) 10,000 different pen possibilities, which means that you and I are probably sharing our pen with 50,000 different people. Oh, how about that? I know. Math. Hmm. I've never (laughs) considered this. Well, there you go. The blue LED was invented in 1993, nearly 30 years after red and green LEDs. And the inventors for the blue LED received uh, the Nobel Prize in 2014. Oh. Do you know what LED stands for, Carla? Uh, I did at one time. Uh, Tell me. Yeah, don't feel bad. I had to go look it up, so I didn't know it either. But it's light-emitting diode. Oh, okay. So a light-emitting diode is a semiconductor device that emits light when current flows through it. So electrons in the semiconductor recombined with electron holes, releasing energy in the form of photons. And the color of the light is determined by the energy required for the electrons to cross the band gap of the semiconductor. Okay, then. And so rather than having an inert gas that burns because you have a filament light in it, mm-hmm. you know, there's no heat right. in an LED. Right, yeah, right. And they last a long time. Use a lot less energy, too. Yeah. Cool. A group of finches <laughs> is called a charm. A charm of finches. <laughs> That's much nicer, isn't yes. it, than a unkindness <laughs> or a murder? A charm of finches. Okay. I like it. I think, I think a Freudian slip is your brain using autocorrect? <laughs> autocorrect is not my Just friend. Oh, me either. <laughs> and now it's that time on the day grind to enrich your faith. So, this Monday, in our celebration of discipline, we focused on prayer. And if you were following Richard Foster's recommended readings, Wednesday was a prayer of repentance, focusing on Psalm 51. Now, nearly all biblical scholars treat Psalm 51 with the utmost respect. Even the great pontificator of scripture, Charles Spurgeon, known for his deep spiritual insights, approached Psalm 51 with caution. He once admitted, quote, I postponed expounding in week after week, feeling more and more my inability for the work. Often I sat down to it and rose up again without having penned a line. It is a bush burning with fire, yet not consumed. And out of it, a voice seemed to cry to me, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. The psalm is very human. Its cries and sobs are of one born of woman, but it is freighted with an inspiration all divine, as if the great father were putting words into his child's mouth. Such a psalm may be wept over, absorbed into the soul, and exhaled again in devotion. But commented on, ah, Where is he who, having attempted it, can do other than blush at his defeat? So Spurgeon's humility in the face of this psalm is understandable. It holds valuable lessons, particularly about repentance. So in today's podcast, 
guided by Psalm 51 and Spurgeon's insights, we're going to explore the essence and the importance of Christian repentance and the mercy of God that makes it possible. I'll share a few thoughts, and then I will share Spurgeon's thoughts on understanding repentance, the significance of repentance, and the kindness of God. Understanding repentance leads to heartfelt change. David's honesty in Psalm 51 stands out because he openly expresses his regret and remorse. I think sometimes we confuse being scared of getting caught with genuine remorse, which is just a clever way of hiding our mistakes. But it's really only when we're caught that we drop the act. We often don't realize how we trick ourselves. David only truly understood how wrong he was when the prophet Nathan confronted him. Real repentance means your heart is broken and there's no room left for self-defense. The word says the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. But remember, feeling sorry for our sins isn't just about punishing ourselves. It's not about being gloomy. It's a journey towards healing and doing right. Since Jesus already carried the weight of our sins, our repentance shows our faith in God's ability to make us whole. God doesn't reject us when we are genuinely contrite. Instead, he raises up those who humble themselves before him. Spurgeon puts it this way. I want you to indulge yourselves in this most rare delight of sorrow at the feet of Jesus. Not sorrow for unpardoned sin, but sorrow for pardoned sin. Sorrow for that which is done. Sorrow for that which is forgiven. Sorrow for that which will never condemn you. For it was laid on Christ long ago, and it is put away forever. It is this sweet sorrow that I want you to indulge. The significance of repentance is a broken heart. And why is repentance necessary? What is it about a broken heart that God values? Spurgeon points out that only a broken heart can be humble before God. And I quote, A broken heart cannot keep secrets. Now all is revealed. Now its essence goes forth. Far too much of our praying and our worship is like closed up boxes. You cannot tell what is in them. But it is not so with broken hearts. When broken hearts sing, they do sing. When broken hearts groan, they do groan. Broken hearts never play at repenting, nor play at believing. With broken hearts, the hymn is a real hymn. The prayer is a real prayer. The hearing of sermons is earnest work, and the preaching of them is the hardest work of all. Oh, what a mercy it would be if some of you were broken all to pieces. There are many flowers that will never yield their perfume till they are bruised. End quote. Yeah, God doesn't seek his servants at their best, filled with strength and skill, and talent. Rather, 
He accepts the fragrant offering of a broken heart. He elevates the humble and humbles the proud. While we may desire full hearts, God requires emptiness. Only God can breathe life into us. And lastly, God's kindness, which is what leads us to repentance. The call to have a contrite heart doesn't come from a vengeful God. It reveals his kindness and compassion towards those who generally repent. Spurgeon says, quote, While I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought sin a trifle. But when I knew him as my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought that God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could have rebelled against the one who loved me so and sought my good. Will you not now think of the goodness of God, brothers and sisters, and shall it not lead you to repentance? Shall we not feel within our hearts a burning indignation against sin? because it is committed against so holy, so good, so glorious a being as the infinitely blessed God, end quote. I mean, this highlights God's profound transcendence above human concerns, but it showcases his tender, loving kindness. So to wrap up today, let's face it, David's sin is not unique. We have all fallen into wrongdoing in some ways, rebelling against the one whose image we bear. Yet, through the gospel, God draws his broken creation towards healing and reconciliation. When we contemplate the immense goodness of God that we have rejected, what choice do we have but to repent? And I will let Spurgeon sum up today's episode. He puts it like this. What? Were we whom God has made to be conformed to the image of his firstborn son ever seen to be drunken and staggering through the streets, defiled with unchastity or polluted with gluttony or guilty of covetousness or cursed with pride? What? We whom the Lord has loved with an everlasting love and without whom Christ himself will not be content to reign in heaven, groveling in iniquity? Oh, I think these questions must have helped us to make sin seem contemptible and loathsome. I point at it the finger of scorn. Oh, dear children of God, scorn your sins, lament your sins, weep over your sins, indulge that feeling, And God will accept it when it is mixed with faith in his dear son. For the sacrifice of God, that is, all sorts of sacrifices put together, sin offerings, burn offerings, peace offerings, scapegoats, and all together, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. One broken spirit is worth them all. A broken and contrite heart. Though there be but one such, O God, that will not despise. If you found today's insights valuable, please subscribe. 
review, and share with friends. I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of The Daily Grind, and we'll see you tomorrow. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.